This is part three now of the core value of giving generously. Shared on it the last two Sundays, and we're going to wrap it up this Sunday. And uh, um, <clears throat> let's read the core value together, all righty? Giving generously by cheerfully investing our financial resources into Christ's church, believing for the release of heaven's resources for personal provision and advancement of kingdom ministry. If there is virtue and reward in giving into Christ's church, we should just remind ourselves very briefly today as to what Christ's church is and is all about. In the scripture, they used a Greek word, Apostle Paul used a Greek word, and actually Jesus used this word from <clears throat> that was used commonly within the Roman Empire, and uh, it's ecclesia, and it simply means called out ones, okay? And as the context of Christ's church or the community of faith, it's referring to those who are really, who've been called out of darkness into the light and in relationship with Christ Jesus. And it's about partnering with him in the governance of his kingdom uh, where, where he rules and where he reigns. And it's something that begins in our hearts. It begins in the community of faith and just flows outward unto all people within our sphere of influence. And so those who identify with Christ and the advancement of God's kingdom carry a life calling to give themselves for the common good of the whole body, all right? So the fact that um, you have a, a responsiveness towards Christ means that, there, that, that he in his love that was extended towards you and the light that emanated for him penetrated any measure of darkness to the soul and you saw light, you experienced light. When you experienced light, you experienced life. And so thus your heart is, I want to have and walk in relationship with God through Christ Jesus. And so it's a beautiful thing to be able to be in partnership with Christ. This is like a high privilege, a creator of the universe, the one who holds all things together and we get to have relationship with him. But in that relationship, it's more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling. Um, the relationship is about he's looking for us to be joined to him. And the scripture uses meta, uh, in metaphor about the body, Christ being the head, and we are members of his body. So he wants us to be a functional part of what he's doing. A functional part. So... For the person who believes in Christ and experiences salvation, it's not about just going to heaven to escape hell. Um, that there's a part of that that's a, certainly a reality, but, but it's so much more than that. It's so much more beautiful. And so um, we get to be in this partnership with Christ as called out once. So as we are participating uh, in Christ's body, what we understand is, is that there are rewards related to being a participant with Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad for rewards? The scripture talks about the rewards. 
And uh, as a matter of fact, there are a lot of scriptures. And you see them even in the Old Testament scriptures and Proverbs in several places speaks of rewards. Um, Jesus speaks of rewards. The Apostle Paul speaks of rewards. But there are rewards here in this life as well as when we are liberated from these bodies and we are in that place of the presence of the Lord and then we get a glorified body, there are rewards that are released um, eternally. And so I think for those who have been called out and called unto Christ, what the Lord wants us to do is see that bigger picture. It's not about just what we can find for solace and for encouragement in the moment, although that is pretty huge deal. Um, and it's not for just about where we're going to arrive in the sweet by and by, but it's very holistic. It is now because eternal life begins now. Eternal life happens when we uh, come alive and we recognize to what is already a reality, to what Jesus has already done for all of humanity. Well, in this context of our values, I want to talk a bit about short-term and long-term rewards. Matthew chapter 6, let's look at it. Matthew 6, 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves. Now, I think that's interesting that Jesus is very much interested in ourselves. Isn't that interesting? Honestly, I never really thought about this particular point. I'm highlighting until a couple of weeks ago as I was preparing for today. I go, whoa. For the first time, it just kind of dawned on me. Jesus saying, I want you to do this for you. Right? Because sometimes in the context of giving, we think, okay, that's right. If I really have love, I'm going to do this for others. <laughs> and sometimes it's like, but poor me. <laughs> but since I'm so loving, I'll do it for him, for her, for others, for Christ, of course. <laughs> Jesus said, I want, to, I want you to store up treasure for yourselves. How many of you say that's an encouraging word right there? Huh? Because he's very much interested in us. So he's not just looking for us to say to us, it's like, okay, boy, give it all up. Because this is a test of love you really love. Now you're going to do it for others because this is just the right thing to do as a matter of principle if you call yourself a Christian. No, no, no. He's very much interested in our joy and the rewards of our life in the present and in the future. So he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, the implication is, and we're actually not going to do a scriptural study on this, but the implication is this. Is that what we do with what we have on earth has a direct effect of what we experience eternally. Now that'll preach because we could go to dozens of scripture related to that specific point. I think sometimes that we can live somewhat short-sighted. 
We're so busy and we're so being uh, diligent with caring for the responsibilities that we have in life and we're just slugging it out and getting through the tough times and enjoying the good times and such. But remember every day as we live in him and move and have our being, however beautiful it may be one week and however painful it may be next month, our responses to everything has an effect for eternity. Now, don't freak out about that. I mean, you should just go, wow. That's amazing. But honestly, it is. Uh, it, it does require me to go, whoa. That's interesting. So Jesus is trying to paint this picture. He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what we heard earlier, where your, where your heart is, there your treasure is. All earthly investments carry degrees of risk. And uh, there are certain kinds of investments you can lose it all. Put it in the stock market, put it in mutual fund, put it in crypto. You might make big, you might make some, you may make none. And, and it's really interesting that Jesus says, you know, there's some risk involved in the natural kind of investments. And he's not saying that's bad, but there's risk involved. But what he's saying is that one sure place of investment is investing into Christ's kingdom. He says, that's a sure thing. Nobody's going to take it. There won't be any crashes. You won't lose it all. It's a sure thing. It's going to bring rewards in the now and in the future. I'm just going to touch on a few things this morning. We won't have a chance just to actually just open the scriptures and walk through all the different ways that he rewards us. I wish we had time to do that, but, but not, not today. So the question is, how do you restore treasures in heaven? Well, first understand that heaven is not just a mere destination. Okay? Uh, heaven is about relationship. Heaven is about relationship. And the apostle Paul caught it so clearly that he says, guys, I want you to understand that, that as you awaken unto the life, spiritual life in Christ Jesus, he said, in all reality... You as a citizen of heaven now, though physically you're on earth, you are spiritually, you're connected, your spirit and soul is connected with Christ and so integrated with Christ, you are actually in him, he in you, and thus you are seated together with Christ now in heavenly places. And Jesus, the scripture says, is seated at the where? The right hand of the Father. So today, it's a reality. You're seated with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're smack dab in the middle of love and life. We've got to remind ourselves of that, right? Especially when the tough times come, or even in the good times, while we're just frolicking, uh, frolicking in life, you know. Wow, do so. Let there be a holy dance in the presence of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Remember, when you rejoice, he rejoices. When you suffer, he suffers with you. 
So <clears throat> this whole thing of treasures in heaven uh, is a really a relational thing. And the priority of Christ is his kingdom and his church, which he is building. He is building. In other words, he's continually calling people out of darkness unto himself. And he laid down his life for his church and for the extension of his kingdom. So Christ's church consists of us and a couple more billion people. We carry some wounds. We have some brokenness. We're in process. He who has begun a good work is helping us work through our stuff into a place of healing and wholeness. So to lay up treasures in heaven is to allocate uh, resources of our lives towards that which Christ has made a top priority. And that was a laying down his life for his called out ones, his church. That's what we're talking about. So Jesus has established some priorities and he simply extends to us out of the goodness of his heart, says, I want to invite you into a prioritized lifestyle so that you can enjoy the beauty of rewards here in this life and to come. So when you think of that term giving, it first begins with the relational aspect of you being seated together with Christ. And if you understand giving from that premise and within that context, it changes it from a religious, dutiful, obligatory act into something that is beautiful. Now, some of you have got this years ago. I just would be pretty sure. I, I have a hunch that many of you have, have got that. Some of you may not be quite there. I don't know. But I do know that it's about a relational context here, all sharing of our lives. That is giving of any aspect of our lives. Well, <clears throat> since Paul was talking about the relational aspects of it, we read a week or two ago, 1 Corinthians 9, where the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive they're living from the gospel. And as simple as that, he's saying we need people who feel a calling and who are willing to devote their lives for the extension of the gospel and to help serve and to help Christ build his church. Now, we're all participants of that, but he's saying I need those who would just devote themselves to that. So, <clears throat> the second thought I want to share is is that we give a financial resources for our own benefit into the future. Now, I already referred to one. I got ahead of myself in Matthew 6. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And Matthew 19, verse 13, Jesus is now talking to this rich guy, and he says, I wish you to be complete He's saying there's one thing that you're lacking. You have so many qualities, and now you're blessed with this abundance. But he says you're not quite experiencing the fullness, the fullness of life, the fullness of God's glorious workings in your life. 
So in order for you to move into a fuller dimension, Jesus says, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that you need to go and sell your possessions and gifts to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, this scripture and these words of Christ were given explicitly to this one person, okay? And so you can't take this one scripture and make a blanket statement, say everyone now on the earth who belongs to Christ should sell all of their possessions. That would be foolishness, see? It's those kinds of things that pretty soon become a biblical kook, you know? Just using verses of scripture randomly, you know? And, and that's not what he's teaching. But for this man, at least this was a test. See, this was a test of him. Did his riches have a hold on him? Could he dare to trust the word of the Lord? Could he dare to trust that if he would be willing to open his fists and begin to give, that maybe there were rewards for him that in, even in this life, um, and certainly in heaven, that were beyond what he could have anticipated. There's also a reference to the faithful um, in Scripture who are privileged to rule with Christ even into the future. Um, <clears throat> we have one Scripture in Luke there. I forget the exact reference, to, but the privilege to... It, the implication is that you work with Christ even rule over cities. That's really an interesting one. We do know in Scripture that we have the many crowns. I haven't taught on it for some time, but in years by, I have on multiple occasions about the many crowns of reward that there are when we stand before the Lord. So quite clearly there are rewards. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Apostle Paul now talks about how we deal with abundance. And so he says, verse 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Oh, there's several really significant things in this passage here. What is rich? Well, rich in any culture has somewhat to do with the assets of a person and their income. In our culture here, we talk about net worth. It's a term that's used commonly. What is one's net worth? And uh, the total value of assets, less any liabilities and or money's owed. Uh, and so that's considered to be net worth. It is interesting that just culturally in the United States here, as of 2019, when this poll was taken, there are 15,298,000 households who had a net worth over 1 million, which is 12% of the population. Now, because of inflation and such, uh, that number would be significantly higher, okay? Probably be more like 20, 25 million now, uh, <clears throat> just because of the way our economy has been working. So what is rich? Well, here's just another thing, and I'm not actually going to try to come up with a definition as such. But let's just talk about some of these things for a few moments. Another point of reference could be this. Um, in the state of Oregon, the median household income is 67000 
Uh, and that often consists of two adults working. And you notice it said household, okay? So that could be two adults working and uh, <clears throat> 67, you know, for to, to own a home and such. Um, it doesn't go very far sometimes. So uh, we're not going to be able to come specifically as to a definition of rich, but rich could be defined as having income that meets abundantly more than meeting the basic needs, okay? I think we could all probably say somewhere in that arena, you know, they're the basic needs of humanity, and that looks different in different cultures of the world. Um, and so there, there, there's got to be some relevance in that. You can't take some standard of understanding and living and of riches, etc., from one culture and superimpose that on other cultures of the world. But the main point is, is that the Lord is saying, instruct those who have an abundance um, not to be conceited. And he says, or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. So I think it's very possible to have riches and keep one's hope upon Christ. Absolutely so. So Jesus is saying, he's not saying that you can't do that, or Paul, excuse me, this is Paul writing. He, he's, he, he's, he's communicating, you, you just kind of guard your heart. Keep your priorities of your heart fixed upon Christ. And, and we just live mindfully of the fact that the riches of this world, the abundance and the things we have in this world can disappear pretty quickly for different kinds of reasons, you know. But we've got to stay steadfastly just fixed upon the Lord. And then he says, <clears throat> um, keep hope on the uncertainty of, oh, no, yeah, or fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches, is riches, but on God. Keep the hope on God, focus on God, who richly supplies us with all thanks to I thought you'd be really enthusiastic about this part. Who richly supplies us with. Look at somebody and say, you better be more excited than that. My goodness. What you'll never hear from this place, and that is somehow if you have abundance, we're going to try to put you on a guilt trip make you feel like there's something wrong with you because you haven't given it all away. That's not biblical. I mean, you can't take one verse. Now, God sometimes asks somebody to say, I just want you to give it all away. And that sees a point in their life. Then Ed and I were at a point once where we did almost all away giving. It was like, dear God, I think that was you, but... It was very, very, very scary. Honestly, it was. But we, we so knew what God was saying that, okay. And man, we've just experienced an amazing rewards. It's just not only financial rewards, but other kinds of rewards that we had. God did something in our heart that was beautiful and powerful. So God occasionally does these kind of things. And that's why I can't take the experience that he has led me in and prescribe that for you. 
And if you're blessed, if you have more than just to meet the basic needs, God bless you. He has blessed you. I rejoice with you. Enjoy. Everybody say enjoy. Enjoy. It's okay. Say enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Remember this, that it's the Lord who gives the power or the ability to get wealth. We see that back in the book of Deuteronomy. And so the scripture tells us in 17 there, God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. I'm going to share, share something here with you. When you see someone around you in life, whether they are personal acquaintance or not, Celebrate their abundance. This is very important. And if you ever have feelings of resentment, you really need to experience just the washing, cleansing life and love of Jesus and get some healing. And that could be rooted in some things back in your life to where there was some woundedness that happened, or maybe that you uh, somehow, because of circumstances, became fearful and bought into a lie of the enemy. Those are real things to us. So I don't say this condemningly, but, you, but the Jesus really wants to free us of that kind of thinking. Because that's, that's actually will block the flow of life in our lives. It will block the flow of even God's provision in our lives. If you look at someone that has been blessed with more stuff, more assets, whatever, then you ask the Lord to say, Lord, I want to celebrate your goodness. I don't want to think thoughts that are nonproductive. This is like really, really important. Look at verse 18 now, back to this passage. Instruct them. Now, these are people who have been blessed with abundance. Now, you've got to understand this. From the perspective of the greater population of the world, they would look to pretty much every one of us in the room and say, oh, my goodness, you guys are all rich. Okay? You have a vehicle to drive. Most of us have vehicles. You have a house with heat. Uh, you can find transportation, um, even if you don't have your own personal transportation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you have food to eat and such, because there's many people in the world that way. So, so you just understand that we, in fact, all are really blessed relative to many people in our world. And so Apostle Paul says, instruct them. He's writing to his son Timothy in the faith, who is pastoring the church at Ephesus, he says, I want you to instruct them, those who have abundance, to be rich in good works. Good works are important. Jesus said, I want you to be involved in good works, doing good deeds so that others will see and notice and, and glorify God. Thus, see, Christ ended through your good works. 
Sometimes in some circles of conservative Christianity, we downplay good works and say, well, it's just by the grace of God I'm saved. Yes and amen to that. But let me tell you, good works are to be found in all of our lives and should be honored in the lives of other people. Good works, good works of all people in the world, those who are in Christ, seated with Christ, should just be filled with good works. But instruct them to do good, be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Don't you just love that when you have that kind of a heart and you're just looking for opportunities? You're looking for opportunities. I can't say I've always done that, but I literally look for opportunities today. I'm just talking about, I know that God can condition our hearts to where we literally look for opportunities and are always generous. Let me just give you one real practical thing. <clears throat> we use a credit card for just a lot of purchases and we pay it off every month. We don't pay interest on it, okay? And we use it. We use a, have a cash back card. We get 2% on all expenditures, cash back. So it costs us nothing. pays us, actually. But I carry cash. I like to carry 100 or 200 cash so I'm ready to be generous. I'm just giving you some real practical thing. It's not, maybe not what you need to do. I'm not implying that. But I want to be ready. Because I've been caught a few times to where I didn't replenish the cash. I grabbed my wallet and I felt like I needed to give somebody some money. And then my heart sinks. I don't have any cash on me. I wasn't ready to be generous. Got to live ready. So the other day I was, uh, I had, had replenished all my cash the week before. And um, I came, I don't remember where I was at. Um, and there was somebody sitting there on a curb, need food, you know. And I just felt like the Lord said, this one, this, this is a real deal here. You need to do that. It was so nice that I was ready. They will pull up and here's 20, buck, 20 bucks. Go get some food, man. Had a nice chat with him as well. He was really a good guy, good guy. He grew up here, had been away 13 years, 14 years, just moved back. Had just moved back two days before, had been looking at a job and hadn't got the job yet. But I want to be ready. So I'm thinking there's a lot of practical ways that we can be ready. The first is of the heart. We've got to be looking, 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 looking for opportunities to serve and be a blessing. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir on this because I know that many of you just live this as a lifestyle. So this is not preaching at you as much as I'm just sharing these scriptures. Let it be affirmation, okay? So if you're generous and ready to share... What is happening? Once again, you're storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation of the future. Isn't it interesting that Paul never was with Christ in person and Paul did not read the book of Matthew and Luke because it wasn't even written at this time. And he uses the same expression. Store up for your yourselves treasure coincidence probably not 
Holy Spirit-inspired words by Jesus. Holy Spirit-inspired the Apostle Paul to pass on this instruction to Timothy, who was to share with people in that community that they should be generous and store up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for when? The future. So sometimes we think of investments to get us through the end of our lifespan when we're not able to physically work, right? Wisely so. So we want to make some investments and prepare as much as possible. Paul says, take it a step further. Not only prepare for the end of their season of life here on earth, but you prepare for the future. And make sure that in your generosity, you're laying a foundation for the future beyond your lifespan here on earth. Isn't that a fascinating scripture right there? Absolutely fascinating to me. So the Apostle Paul is kind of a straightforward guy, right? Just a straight shooter. And he says, I want you to instruct. One version says, I want you to command. And we all go, yikes, that sounds just a little heavy here. But, um, you know, um, instruct. Somehow that feels better. So I like that one better. God's instructing me. And yes, Lord, you can command me too. (laughs) Okay. Be generous. Be ready to share. Well, as we keep ourselves in this circle of life, seated with Christ in heavenly places, keep our hearts aligned with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, guess what happens? The more time we spend there, the more that we take on those Christ-like characteristics. Let us make man in our image and likeness. It's in the core of who we are, but sometimes sin in this world and our own hearts, attitudes can get malaligned. And so we take on characteristics of the world and get stingy and get this way and that way. And we're not observant and we're not looking for opportunities to be generous. And so the cure for that is to spend more time in that place of relational love and worship with Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It conditions the heart. It keeps us sensitive. All right? So the scripture talks about the future, and I want us to, I want to share a quote with you. Um, Put up that picture there um, that I gave you. Jim Elliott, who grew up in Portland, Oregon, he uh, used to listen to missionaries as a kid, and um, he testified of the call of God to take the gospel to unreached peoples of the world. And so on February 21, uh, 1952, Jim and his wife arrived in Ecuador, to evangelize uh, an Indian tribe there. And then on January 8th, 1956, Jim was the first of five missionaries to be killed uh, by some warriors of a particular tribe who were afraid when these guys came in with their Piper Cub and landed on a sandbar in the river. And uh, their, their lives were taken at that point. But Jim had said before that, and I quote Jim Elliott, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It is a truth 
that applies to every area of our lives and, of course, including our financial resources. Paradoxically, it is in this giving away of possessions which the world, and particularly in our American culture, considers the key to the good life that a Christian may take hold of a deeper quality of life within one's placement with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, here's a reality, and it's not something that we should fear, but let us live with a holy sobriety. We will all be judged for our works. Every person will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will all receive rewards that will be in direct correlation to our works, good or bad. We will all have levels of ruling and reigning with Christ over the earth according to our faithfulness here in this life. And everything that we do on earth out of a relational, responsive love and faith will release eternal rewards. The Apostle Paul, just to kind of wrap up what we're talking here, Apostle Paul says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 11, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, usually when we think of promises of God, we think of the positive side of it, right? Did you notice that what he slipped in as a promise, the promise of lack? Honestly, I never thought about it in that way before until a couple of weeks ago because I just like to skip over that part. I don't like that part. Give me the good stuff. I was thinking, sitting at my desk, and I was reading that, reread it, and I go, oh, that could be kind of, that's a real downer. That's a, I don't know what else to call it. That's a promise of lack. You will reap what you sow. No sow, you don't reap. <laughs> you plant two hills of corn in your garden, you'll only reap one-tenth of what you might have had if you planted 20 hills of corn. Simple math, it is, coupled with simple faith, sowing and reaping. I like verse 7, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Apostle Paul wants us who are in Christ to learn how to be responsive to the Holy Spirit. It's called a spirit-led life in every area of our lives, including our generosity, including our giving. Just be responsive and responsible. That's what he's asking. And I think that there are great starting points in our lives. I think that giving is kind of like certain other disciplines. It's good to bathe now and then. You know, get your once a month bath. Oh, once a week that is, maybe. Or daily, whatever. I mean, there's certain disciplines that are important. And there's a discipline of training our souls to be responsive and a discipline of, 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 of giving that I feel is like really important. 
And I think the scripture bears it out. We don't have time to look more uh, at more scripture today. But God promises in verse 8 that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all time, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Remember this, God is for us. He's working with us. Here we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We have the privilege of having the Holy Spirit working in us and working through us. And our generosity is not only meeting present needs of others in our lives, but our generosity is also laying up a foundation for our future. And our generosity will also determine, have a role of determination in the blessings and the level of what we receive even here in this life. It's about participation. Now, if you want us to go down the track of, a track of religious transactional type giving, you'll put yourself under limitation. You'll have a measure of blessing, but it'll be of certain kinds of limitations. So we do it out of relationship. I know that as I invest my heart, life to my wife, there's naturally going to flow a return. If I think, okay, I guess I better tell her I love her today so she stays with me in this 42nd year of marriage. Or I'll hear about it tonight. You didn't tell me all day, Galen, that you love me. I've had it. One more day like that and I'm out of here. Okay, next day. I guess I better tell her. You know, I mean, obviously. But think about that. You can get in that kind of a religious mindset with God. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being so enthused about this relationship and say, I just want to be in full participation. And with that, let's stand up together. I want to invite you to just extend your hands and we say, God, thank you for your kindness to us. You're a good father. You bless us beyond anything that we can imagine. Sometimes you just bless us because we're your kids. It wasn't even necessarily because we gave, but you just say, I want to bless this one today. I want to bring about a blessing and, and release something into their lives that, 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 that we can enjoy. And we say, thank you, Father, for doing those things. But we also recognize that there's this participation thing that you've invited us into with the promise that you'll continue to pour into our lives, but not only finances in return, but it says that there will be an increased harvest of righteousness. The blessing will flow into every area of our lives, into our kids and our grandkids and generations to come as we set a healthy pattern of being generous givers. Until you be all glory and honor, thank you for this privilege today. In Christ Jesus and in his name we pray. Amen.